The kingdom is not about being a spectator, but this kingdom of God is all about participation. And God invites us to participate daily. Uh, We want to train and equip. You saw the event coming up this Wednesday. I encourage you right now, even on your phone, to the church phone number, text the word impact, and you'll get the link. So you won't forget about it later. You'll have it right there. And then I'll see you Wednesday at 7. And we're trusting God to do great things this Wednesday. Also, uh, coming up this next weekend, we have this 13.1 mile run, and Juhi and Don Lee have led this so well for our team, and we've got a lot of people running because there's a lot of kids that need clean water, and we can make a difference. This is the sixth year in a row, and so keep everyone in your prayers as we uh, represent Jesus in the Tacoma race this next weekend. And today we're in Matthew chapter 18. The topic is forgiveness. And I realize this is, can be a very tender topic. This is a topic where there's a lot of opinions swirling. And we need to come back to God's word. We want to walk in love and we want to walk in truth. And we need both love and truth. Today we're going to look at the scripture that gives us a kingdom perspective. And also there is power. God's kingdom is not of timidity, but power and love. And there's power. The power of the Holy Spirit wants to move in this part of our lives. What is forgiveness? We're going for clarity today from God's word and then some positive steps forward. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, uh, Lord, that you always live with love and truth. And you model that for us. You lead us into that kind of a life, God. We need your help. And our relationships go astray. Our attitudes, our words are off base, God. We ask forgiveness today. We want to honor you today. We want to walk in integrity today. We want to walk in purity today. We want to walk in holiness today, God. Sincerity today. And we open up our relationships, our hearts to you. And pray that you would work with your healing touch And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is an intentional decision to let go of resentment, bitterness, and revenge. Let's think about that again. Forgiveness is an intentional decision to let go of bitterness, resentment, and revenge. It is a loaded word because there are so many misconceptions about forgiveness. And if you go online, you're going to see all sorts of different opinions, and many of them just don't line up with the Bible. We want to align with God and his kingdom on this essential topic. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus separates the truth from the lies relating to forgiveness. And that's what God's going to do today in our minds and hearts, separate the truth from the lies as it ties in to forgiveness. And some of us have been carrying burdens we don't need to carry. And with forgiveness, receiving it from God and forgiving other people fully, there is a lightness. There is a lightness when you break free from that resentment and we can walk in that lightness. Some of us haven't been walking in that lightness, haven't been praising God. It's really hard to praise God with all your heart when you've got some unforgiveness and resentment in there. It just doesn't go together. It just doesn't. You got resentment, you're not gonna praise God the same way. So let's let God do a work in our hearts in this important area. And we're gonna start in Matthew 18. And Jesus knows we need help in our relationships. Can I get an amen? Amen. Jesus knows we need help 
in our relationships. And that's why in Matthew 18, he lays out a clear process for when his followers wrong each other. Here's the process, starting in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, there is a process here. Notice the context. It's interpersonal relationships. And these are situations where let's say someone you know is lying or someone you know is getting drunk or someone you know is looking at porn or someone you know is saying really mean things. Then there's a process where you come to them and it's direct communication and you have that courageous conversation. That is the context here. The context is not if a brother or sister does something illegal, okay? If, let's say, a follower of Jesus is driving drunk and the officer, let's say, is a follower of Jesus, pulls over this person, well, they can't just pull out their cross, turn on their Christian radio and say, hey, brother in the Lord, you gotta forgive me. You know, it doesn't work like that, right? And so let me put it this way. If someone kidnaps someone into human trafficking, you don't just go to that person and say, hey, that's wrong. And they're like, my bad. All right, we move on. That's not the context. So don't take this interpersonal relationship context and then transfer it into a whole bunch of other places around being illegal or manipulating things. Is that helpful right there? We're gonna unpack a lot of things that get twisted today. And we're just starting with that one. You go directly to someone. You say, well, what if they're older than I am? You go directly to them. What if they're younger than I am? You go directly to them. Well, what if they're in my family or they're my grandfather? You go directly to them. Well, what if I, you know, report to them? You go directly to them. You go directly, direct communication, Matthew chapter 18. If we don't do that, a whole bunch of things are gonna get messed up. A whole bunch of things. So direct communication, if we do it, it brings accountability. There's gonna be more growth and health in the body of Christ, more repentance. It'll protect other people. It'll be healthy community and we're protecting unity as well. So when we read Matthew 18, we all have a responsibility to have direct communication with someone when they sin against us. You say, well, what's the other option if we don't do that? The other option is passive aggressive. We either stay silent because we're afraid of people or consequences. There is a plague of passive aggressive in the body of Christ. If you rip out Matthew 18, you're gonna go passive aggressive. And what's gonna result? You're gonna be silent. You're gonna talk about the other person instead of talking to them. No one's ever done that here, but, but just go with me on this one. You're gonna gossip about the person, you're gonna slander, you're gonna complain about the person, but you're not actually gonna talk to the person. You're just gonna, for weeks or months, be talking to other people. It's sideways, it's not helpful, it's not biblical, and the body of Christ needs to repent in how we respond when someone wrongs us. 
The principle is direct communication. You say, well, that takes courage. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. We say, well, I might actually have to pray and ask God to help me. Oh, yes, you will. Oh, yes, you will. Say, well, that doesn't feel natural. Oh, no, it doesn't sometimes. But courageous conversations where there's honesty and humility, that's where the most fruit comes. And sometimes we need to just look at the scripture and say, you know what? I've been doing it my way, not God's way. I've really been doing it my way. I've been doing it the culture's way. I've been doing it my family's way, but I haven't been doing it God's way. And today I read this and I want a kingdom perspective. I want kingdom power. I want kingdom relationships. I want Jesus to be honored when someone mistreats. And I want to, by faith, with God's help, have these courageous conversations. Jesus lays this out and the disciples are processing it. Just like we process this when we read it. Peter's processing it. And there's usually someone that speaks up and says what everyone else is thinking. Amen? Aren't you glad for people like Peter? You know, like when you have a question in class or when you have a question sometimes, you're thinking about something and someone in the life group in the Bible study says, well, what about, I was thinking about this. You're like, thank you for saying that because that's exactly what I've been wrestling with. Peter responds in verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Here we have Peter, and he's thinking practical. Jesus, I hear about forgiveness. Let me just ask you, because specifics help me, Jesus. How many times? A lot of the rabbis in that day taught three times. So Peter might have initially been thinking three, but hold on. He knows Jesus enough to know that Jesus will often raise the bar. Jesus will say, you've heard it, don't murder someone else, but I tell you, when there's hatred in your heart and in your words, that's murder. Jesus will say, I know you've heard, don't commit adultery and sleep with someone who's not your spouse, but I tell you, when you look at someone lustfully in your eyes, you're committing adultery. Now, are those things equal? They're equal in a moral sense that it's wrong to have hatred in your heart and it's wrong to physically murder someone. It's wrong to sleep with someone that you're not married to or before marriage. And it's also wrong to look at someone lustfully. They're equally, in terms of morally speaking, they're not equal in terms of severity. I've heard people say, well, it's the same exact thing, whether you look at someone lustfully or you sleep with someone. No, it's not the exact same thing. They're both wrong morally. They're both a sin against God, but they're different in their severity. And so again, we're clearing a lot of things up today. Uh, Jesus raises the bar because it's God's standards, not people's standards. And when he does that, Peter has a sense that maybe the right answer is not three. Maybe it's more. So Peter leaps ahead, not only doubles the amount of three in the culture, but then adds one and says, I'm thinking seven. I know I covered it when I said seven. You'll never ask me to forgive more than seven times. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm landing safe here when I say seven. And Jesus challenges that and says, no, seven times 70. And the answer is not 490. Whew. 
So when I get to 490, I don't really have to forgive. No, that is unlimited. There's gonna be no limit to how many times and who you forgive during your life. If Jesus is Lord, you're gonna always continue to fully forgive. And you can feel the tension, can't you? We went to New York this last week. By God's grace, NBC invited uh, me to come and Wayne from our staff team also came. It was like a missions trip, lots of outreach on lots of levels. But NBC said, could you come do an interview on how adults, parents, grandparents can pass their faith on to their kids? Would you agree that's needed these days in America? How do we pass our faith? And I'm not doing the interview like I've got it all together. I'm trying to figure this thing out. I've got four kids, every day's an adventure. But, but I'm trying to learn from God and share. And any opportunity to share about Jesus, it's a yes. I mean, pray about yes. So uh, that happened while we were in New York City. Wayne and I were walking the different streets. And what we noticed, well, a lot of things, but... When, keep it short. When, when someone honks in Seattle or Auburn, I tend to look like what's going on. And I did that for about the first five honks in about the first 30 seconds. Oh, what's that? What's that? What's that? Then I realized when I walk down the street, there's just going to be over a hundred people honking. And I don't need to look at every single one. And there's people honking, there's people jaywalking, there's people um, gestures and comments. And, you know, there was a car that was stopped just honking. And, and literally the, the pedestrian said, well, if you didn't drive so wimpy, you wouldn't have been stuck right there. You just would have gone through. You know, it's, it's a different environment. And people honking, people flipped off, people ticked off. And I thought, this is kind of a picture of life. You're going to go through this week. And there's going to be all kinds of horns honking. I don't think I've ever seen as many horns honking in our country as they are right now. And what do you do in the middle of all that tension? You're probably trying to sort out, who do I forgive? What is forgiveness? What does that look like for me? And when Jesus says, forgive everyone fully, now there's tension. Now there's tension. Because there's a big part of us that doesn't want to forgive everyone fully. And Jesus knows it and he says it. And he makes it clear and then he emphasizes it with a story. Peter and the disciples, it's story time. Stories are parables. Parables are stories, metaphors, pictures that have deep, profound spiritual meaning. And he tells this story and they're tuned in. And in this parable, he really covers how forgiveness works, and how the kingdom works. In Matthew 18, same chapter. This could be a great chapter to read this week. If you're not in a life group, this could be a great time. Get in a life group. So you dive into community, into the scripture. You talk about it. You get to the application. You walk with this together. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began this settlement... A man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. 
We have a king and we have a servant, and the amount is 10,000 talents. A talent is in between 60 and 80 pounds of gold. So when you multiply that by 10,000, you can see that this debt is millions and millions and millions of dollars. The king is coming to settle the accounts, and our king will settle all of our accounts. We have an account because we're accountable to our maker. And all of us have a sin debt. We might not have a monetary debt, but all of us have a sin debt. I remember when I was in high school math and how nice it was that everything was graded on a curve. Anyone else felt good about being graded on a curve? Because I looked around the class, thought my score is not too high. But I looked around the class and there's a lot of other scores that aren't too high. I might end up with an A minus, even though I missed a whole bunch of stuff. And it's like, whoo, we're grading on a curve. Some of us are rolling into God's presence at the end of their lives, acting like God grades on a curve. God's not grading on any curves. You don't need to look up and down your row thinking, well, I'm a little better, I'm a little better than that. The only thing that we come unto is God's perfect standard of holiness because that's who he is. Who could stand in his presence with the sin debt that we have over the years, the things we've thought and the selfishness, the lack of love we've had for other people, not sharing the gospel, whether it's been complaining or flat out things we've said and done that are so wrong or even illegal and for so many years and unintentionally done things. When you add all that up and you bring that before a holy God, who of us could stand? We've all got a sin debt. And you're not going to receive God's grace and forgiveness until you acknowledge you got a sin debt. We don't need to be acting like we've got a $2 sin debt when our sin debt is 10,000 talents. It's an eternal debt in separation from God. There's an answer, and it's Jesus Christ, who is the sinless one, who is fully human. He's the only one that can represent us. You have to be human, and you have to be sinless. He took our place. He substituted. He took the full wrath. You and I don't have a chance apart from Jesus. Our sin is on us, or it's on Christ. And when you put your faith in him, your sin that is removed, and your pardon is full for eternity. And he's risen from the grave because he's human and God. And it is finished. And receive the forgiveness and grace and mercy of Jesus today. Let it flood your soul. Because that's going to change the way you respond to other people. And here's the first truth. An undeserved gift. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness from God. It's an undeserved gift. You receive it. Because Jesus paid the full price. When you receive the full forgiveness and the full pardon, now you have a new purpose. Your purpose now is to glorify the one who's forgiven you. That's your purpose in relationships. You have a primary purpose to glorify Jesus. You've got a new plan. Now you're not operating in the flesh or your old patterns or what you feel like doing. You've got a higher plan. You're gonna abide and respond. You're gonna align with God's word and that's how you're gonna respond to conflict. And then you've got a new power. Maybe in the past you weren't able to forgive other people, but now the Holy Spirit brings healing and the Holy Spirit's power is gonna help you to overcome what others have done to you. See, you're a new creation and there's a shift for your own soul for eternity. And there's a shift daily. It's the vertical first, 
in the horizontal second. Receive God's forgiveness and then forgive others fully. And at this point in the parable, a lot of people are resonating because this is a message of grace and forgiveness. There's a forgiveness that's possible. So many people are striving with the Pharisees and the religious systems and thinking, I'll never be good enough. How do I know if God's forgiven me? He probably won't. What do I need to do, Pharisees? And they would say, more laws, more laws. And they would fail laws and try to fake that they've covered laws. And they were miserable. And Jesus is bringing a forgiveness that's for everybody, for everybody, no matter what your past sin is. In your ugliest, most sinful, rebellious moments, God still loves you. God still offers grace that's greater than that sin. That's who our God is. And Jesus is changing the way they're viewing about God because they've heard so many false messages from the Pharisees. And now they're seeing that this is a throne of grace. And they're receiving grace. We need to receive God's grace. And when we do, it changes our relationships. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 what wisdom God gives for our relationships. Here they are. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Just stop it. Only speak what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If your words don't benefit those who listen, you don't need to say it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit because every time you blurt out those words, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. You are sealed for the day of redemption. So get rid of bitterness today, get rid of rage today, get rid of anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice. This is your worship to God today is to get rid of it and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. It's not about what you feel like doing. It's about what's right to do. And when God gives you a full pardon, it's right to forgive everyone fully. And as Jesus is painting this picture, this new grace, this powerful work that he's bringing, there's a lot of amens at this point. And then he takes it a step further in the story. And this is where things get even more convicting. Verse 28, but when that servant went out, this is the same servant who has just forgiven a hundred or 10,000 talents. When they went out, they found one of their fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, he grabbed him, began to choke him, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay that debt. Now notice the discrepancy, 10K talents forgiven, and now we have a hundred denarii. What are those? Silver coins uh, worth a certain amount of cents, right? One estimate I read, 16 cents. It it represented a day's wages, but it was nothing compared to the 10,000 talents. What was the response? Choke, demand. The one who had the debt asked for mercy in the same way that he asked for mercy and received the mercy. Now this one's asking for mercy. And what's gonna be the response? Refuse to give mercy, sent to jail. And we know in reading this, this is not good. This is not right. This is not what the king wants. And as we unpack this, you know, when it comes to forgiveness, love and truth, it's important to not take a couple verses and ignore all the rest of scripture. 
It's very important not to take a couple of these verses and ignore all the rest of scripture because there's some people walking around with what they think is love and there's no truth. There's no accountability. There's no consequences. So what I wanna point out clearly here, looking at all of scripture, forgiveness is a choice to let go of bitterness and resentment. At the same time, God upholds protection. God upholds truth and protection and we see that in scripture. So let me give some specifics on some scriptures that uphold protection. And Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse five, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are a light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So when you notice someone's character and there's greed and there's impurity and they're immoral, the scripture's clear, don't lock into that partnership with that person. So there's a consequence. It's not just a forgiveness that's just like, yeah, cool, whatever they do, I'm good with them. That's not the picture here. Also in the scriptures, we see in Titus chapter three, verse 10, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. The context here is the church. Have you ever noticed there's divisive people in churches? I don't know. Have you ever noticed that before? Well, what do divisive people do? They say things they shouldn't say and they say it to the wrong people. So they don't go to direct communication. They say the wrong things and they go to the wrong people. Well, how do you know when there's a divisive person? Well, because you have to have a whole bunch of cleanup, a whole bunch of follow-up, a whole bunch of meetings and plannings, a whole bunch of accountability, rebukes. Why? Because they're slander, they're undermining, they're creating strife, and they're destroying the unity of the church. So when you have someone that has that pattern, like, oh, it's happening over there with them. Oh, it's happening over there with them. Oh, they just did it over there. When that sort of person is there, the Bible doesn't say, oh, just forgive them and let them do whatever they wanna do. <laughs> that's not the message of forgiveness. It's no, that's not acceptable, and that's not gonna be acceptable. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses nine through 13, one more example here, and there's so many in scripture, Paul writes to the church in Corinth in my letter, not to associate with sexually immoral people. If you know someone that's sexually immoral, don't lock up your association there. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral of the greedy, the swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world, right? Those people are always gonna be out in the world, but Paul's talking about the church. Now I'm writing to you that must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral and greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler. All right, we get the picture. Don't even eat with such people. Now you're thinking, wait a second, I thought we we're supposed to forgive everyone. But this says I'm not even supposed to eat with this person. So how do we reconcile? What's going on? What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? We're not walking around judging people outside the church. But yes, inside the church, there's a responsibility to judge. God will judge those outside, but expel the wicked person from among you. This is church discipline. This is why people sometimes are told not to be on a staff 
are told not to be in a church. The hope is a full repentance. But I just want to point out to you when we're looking at a parable about forgive everyone fully, that at the same time, love and truth, and this part of scripture is important. And I'll tell you, if it's not carried out, you know what happens? The church has a bunch of pedophiles in it. And no one ever brings accountability and they just act like, oh yeah, pedophiles are fine in church. Oh no, they're not. Oh no, they're not. There's a legal system and there's justice that needs to happen when there's a pedophile. Am I making sense today? I know we're covering a lot and there's a lot of intense stuff here, but uh, this is important to sort through forgiveness and what it is and what it isn't. And there are legal consequences I have a good friend who's a follower of Jesus, went to seminary with him. He's a judge now. He's gotta make decisions. There's a murder case recently. He's deciding that person's guilty and there's consequences. Because he's a Christian and a judge, should he just say, oh, there should never, no one should ever go to jail. I just forgive everyone all the time. No, he shouldn't. Same with church. You don't say pedophiles, should we just look the other way and hide it and say it's no big deal? Not at all, not at all. So um, I'm just trying to give some examples from real life that line up with scripture. This is, if you're gonna summarize this part, forgiveness does not mean the elimination of consequences. Forgiveness does not mean the elimination of consequences. Forgiveness doesn't mean you need to be close with somebody. Just because you forgive them doesn't mean you need to be friends with them. And And sometimes it means you shouldn't even talk with them. You can forgive someone and not even talk with someone and be in a good space biblically. And for some people, that's a disconnect. Like what, forgive and not talk? That's exactly, if that person, uh, whatever they're bringing, it can be wise to keep that distance. And also forgiveness doesn't mean someone has changed. You can forgive someone, it doesn't mean they've changed. They could just be doing the same old stuff. So we pray, whether it's ourselves or someone else, we pray for a full repentance, but we know this, Forgiveness needs to be biblical and we wanna walk in love and we wanna walk in truth. And Jesus is bringing both in this parable. It leads to the end of this parable, verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Then Jesus concludes, the last verse, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. The last truth, forgiveness is a clear, loving, and wise command from the Lord Jesus. Forgiveness is a command, not a suggestion. It's a command, it's clear and loving and wise. And in the culture in that day, if someone had a debt, they would either have to work and then repay the debt, or they would be thrown into prison where they might even sell some of their land to pay the debt. Or a family member would pay the debt for them. But there was a debt and then there were consequences. Uh, Some people twist this parable and say, see, if you don't forgive, you lose your salvation. If you don't do right, you know, you can not be a child of God anymore. I'm just telling you when people come up to you and say, you know, you can lose your salvation if you do A, B, C, or D, or if you do it this many times, uh, be careful with that person. 
just be really careful with that person uh, because man, I've heard a lot of versions of that. It has nothing to do with scripture and it's just a whole bunch of legalism and threats and, and earning your salvation junk. So uh, I'm just saying passages like this, it leads some people astray theologically in their interpretation, they twist it. Uh, what I will say is that unforgiveness affects your relationship with God and unforgiveness affects your relationship with other people. You will lose some quality and closeness in your relationship with God if you don't forgive everyone fully. And it'll also affect your relationships with other people. Sin will affect your relationship with God and sin will affect your relationships with other people. Unforgiveness is sin. Resentment and bitterness is sin. With that, we have a choice how we're gonna respond. And unforgiveness also really tortures your own soul in a lot of ways. I'm surprised how many people carry around bitterness and a grudge and they think they're getting even. You're not getting even. (laughs) Or they think they're winning. Oh yeah, they did that to me, but ooh, I'm so bitter against them. See how I'm winning? I'm bitter and I'm winning. No, you're not bitter and winning. Bitter's losing. And that's not a path towards healing. When you forgive, that opens the door for healing. But carrying around resentment, that's a prison, not a victory. Sin is not a victory, it's a prison. We've got a lot of people in our culture today boasting about their sin, proud about their sin. Sin is not a victory, it isn't. And when you forgive, that's the victory. And we don't have to be discouraged or despair or defeated. No, we don't. I talked to someone this week who said, well, I'll always have this sin. I'll always have that sin. No, you won't. Reject that prophecy. Go to Jesus and let him set you free. We say, well, I've had a grudge for 46 years. Well, this is the day to break free in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, this is the day the shackles, the burdens, all those come off so you can walk in the lightness of Jesus today. And revenge doesn't belong to you. Revenge is the Lord's. So you don't need to figure out how you're gonna try to get revenge. God will sort it out. God will have the final say. Unforgiveness is pain that's turned into pride. Unforgiveness is... um, It includes injustice and tragedy and pain, but it's pain that turns into pride. Because when you don't forgive, you're trying to elevate yourself above Jesus and above scripture. And you're trying to say, oh, I'm doing it my way, not God's way. And the pain, God can heal. There are people, there's prayer, there's God's word, there's resources, there's counselors, there's pastors. God can bring great healing in the pain but don't let it turn into pride and stubbornness and sin with unforgiveness. The main teaching of this parable, forgive everyone fully from your heart. And it starts vertically in receiving mercy and forgiveness from God. And then it flows and extends through the power of the Holy Spirit to the people around us. And there's objections, but you don't know what they did to me. And you don't know how often they did it. You don't know how much it hurt me. And I don't, I'm not trying to minimize any of the tragedy. Jesus weeps with you in how you were wronged. He does. He weeps with you. He cares. He's there. He understands. He was mistreated. But he wants to guide you in this path of healing. When you forgive someone, it doesn't mean you're condoning. It doesn't mean what they did is okay. It doesn't mean you forget. People tell you, forgive and forget. I can't forget. 
right? I, I still remember. There's no biblical expectation that you're gonna forget. But don't dwell on it, don't entertain it, don't harbor it. You can choose not to do that. But you know what? Uh, it, it doesn't say in the Bible, thou shalt forget and never remember again. Uh, sin has a victim. And you know what? Uh, we've all been the victim of other people's sins. And being a victim can be brutal and the cost can be extremely high. I'm not here to minimize any of that. I'm saying there's a difference between forgiveness and healing. Forgiveness is an intentional decision to let go of resentment and bitterness. It opens the door for healing. Healing is a process that can take many years. Healing is a process. Forgiveness is a decision. If you don't make the decision to forgive, you're not gonna walk in the fullness of the healing that God wants to bring. Forgiveness is that gateway that opens the door for healing. And also it's in that intentional decision. I encourage you today to move forward with God. Even if you think about where you've been hurt, move forward with God today. And we're gonna take a minute now with forgiveness to let God do what only God can do. And we're gonna start vertically and whatever helps you focus, if it helps to close your eyes, you can do that. We're gonna start vertically with God, your relationship with God. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus, receive his forgiveness right now. Receive his pardon right now. If you know Jesus and there's sin in your life, it's unconfessed, it's time to get right with God. Right now, God is faithful, he purifies. Let God search your heart and then silently talk to God and confess your sins. Take out the log in your own eye before you try to take out the speck in your brother's or sister's eye. So confess your sins to God. What have you done or what have you not done that God's wanted you to do? God, we confess to you right now. Search our hearts. Search our hearts, we turn from sin. Forgive us our sin, God. Bring your grace and mercy. Remove guilt and shame today, God. Thank you for a fresh start, God. Thank you, Jesus, for your death. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love and your patience and your mercy today. We receive it. We receive it now. We receive it fully. And now I wanna ask you, who do you need to forgive? And yes, maybe you need to apologize to someone and follow up as God leads you, make the apologies. But who do you need to forgive? You know, the Bible says in times of communion to get right with your brothers and sisters before you just rush into communion. We're not taking communion today. It's the spirit of before you worship God, get right with your brothers and sisters. So who do you need to forgive? It could be a group. You might have a group grudge. It might be a group of leaders. It might be your parents, your grandparents. It could be church or churches, the culture. Maybe it's people from a certain ethnicity or age. Maybe it's someone who disagrees with you, but you've got a grudge. Who do you need to forgive? Let go of the resentment and bitterness today. Which individuals do you need to forgive? Who is it in your family? Friends, maybe another follower of Jesus, social media, comments, 
you need to forgive. When you forgive, there's closeness with God. There's healing, there's growth, there's freedom, there's joy, there's peace. Make a decision to forgive fully right now. You can say it silently, silently. Don't need to start gossip here. Say it silently, but you say to God, I forgive, and then say their names. You say it right now. You say, God, I forgive, and say their names. Are they individuals? Are they groups? Where's your resentment? Where's your bitterness? Resentment is sneaky. It sneaks into the heart. We're making room for God today. We're forgiving people fully today. Say it, I, God, I forgive this person and I forgive these people. Forgive them for they know not what they've done. Forgive them for what they've done intentionally. Jesus, just like you prayed on the cross, forgive them. I pray forgive them and I forgive. I forgive. This week when you're tempted with resentment, you just say the words, I forgive. I forgive. Let's say those words together. I forgive. I forgive. Now think about the people that have been hard to forgive and say out loud, if you're forgiving them today, say, don't say their names, just say, I forgive. I forgive. I forgive. I forgive. Jesus, you've forgiven us, so we forgive. We wanna walk in truth and walk in love. We wanna worship you. We wanna honor you. We don't just wanna sing a song when our relationships and hearts aren't right. So God, we're asking you to do a work in our hearts today so that praise can come forth. Because when you set your people free, God, the result is praise. When you deliver in Egypt out of slavery, the result is praise, God. We forgive and get rid of resentment today so we can give you praise, God. We don't want anything to hinder praise to you, God. We don't want anything to grieve the Holy Spirit in our lives. Come renew us today, God, as we give you praise. Bring healing today, God. Guide the relationships today. Let unity be restored, God, in marriages today, God, in homes today, Father. We're, we're asking you to move as we give you praise together, as we give you praise.